Hello, I am your host, Tabari McCoy, and welcome to A Tight 45. A Tight 45 is brought to you by Everybody's Records, located at 6106 Montgomery Road in the Pleasant Ridge neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio. Everybody's Records has been independently slinging music for 42 years. Swing in and dive into a deep catalog of music, including vinyl, or bring in your own CDs or LPs for cash or trade. Listening in from out of town? Be sure to check out their website at www.everybodysrecords.com. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for taking the time out of your day to download and listen to this episode of A Tight 45. This is an episode that I am very excited about because it is one that had been a long time coming. This is an episode that I put in the work to get on the grind to work with my guest schedule to make sure that it could and would happen. And was finally able to work it out. So joining me on this episode, if you haven't read the description already because you're a subscriber and you automatically get the downloads, for which I thank you kindly. Joining me on today's episode is the one and only Miss Sarah Spain. You, of course, know Sarah's work from ESPN, but Sarah has a long storied history dating back to her days as a D1 college athlete, working her way through the various channels of ESPN. She hosts, of course, the show Spain and Fits, which is available on everywhere you can get major podcast downloads, as well as Sirius XM Satellite Radio. She's an Emmy winner. She's a Peabody Award winner. She is a fellow fan of one of my favorite sports teams, that being the Chicago Cubs. Yes, I have already talked about my multiple fandoms for eons. And when I grew up in the 1980s, it was impossible to hate on the Cubs with Harry Carey, my man, Ryan Sandberg, Sean Dunstan, and of course, in addition to a young Greg Maddox and a somewhat older Rick Sutcliffe with the leg kick looking like Hans Gruber on the pitching mound, they had my man Andre Dawson, the Hawk, who had the curl working. So it was a great time, despite the fact that, you know, they lost all the time. Plus, they had fellow Cincinnati native Leon the Bull Durham, uh, not to be confused with the movie Bull Durham. Uh, but if you got that confused, uh, you're in a place that I can't help you. But got to talk with Miss Spain. We chatted. Very lovely individual. Very knowledgeable person. And for some reason, she is the fourth six foot tall or better female that has been on this podcast i am five foot seven i don't know why i keep getting after tall women for my podcast but it keeps happening and they keep agreeing to do it and they're having fun doing it and if you enjoy the show please tell somebody because otherwise it's just me talking into a microphone for whoever knows how many people are listening so get those numbers up if you can spend a half hour watching people on TikTok dance, doing dumb dances to songs that are going to be gone in two years or less, you can take the time to tell somebody about some quality journalism, some jokey jokes, and thanks to my boy, 
DJ Nobody up in Columbus, Ohio. Shout out. Uh, the nice little musical segues that we have on the show, it would be greatly appreciated. And speaking of appreciation, want to thank everybody that came out to Wiley's Comedy Club up in Dayton, Ohio. In Dayton proper, if you will, because everything else in Dayton ain't in Dayton. Dayton Mall ain't in Dayton. Dayton Mall is nowhere near Dayton. It's another 15 miles to Dayton from the Dayton Mall, which... If you've been to the Dayton Mall, you don't know who's winning that battle because I've, I've said it before on stage. I love going to the Dayton Mall because I feel like I could buy everything and have change left over. It'd be like having one of those gift certificates from Wheel of Fortune on it. Uh, but yeah, so people came out last night. Uh, was a little weird. It was an open mic that I was closing out. I'm hoping to get booked at the at Wiley's for a full weekend. So if you know somebody that knows somebody that wants to see me back in Dayton, this is how you make it happen. This is how you do it. Shout out to uh, Montel. Uh, you know that boy, Montel Jordan. Anyhow, uh, so yeah, this week, Friday, May the 28th, you can catch me along with several other comedians at the Comet in the Northside neighborhood of Cincinnati, where I will be performing on the Comedy in the Grotto show the week before the first ever Grotto Fest, where they're going to have an all-day affair, uh, brouhaha here in my native Cincinnati, the biggest outdoor uh, annual comedy festival, I believe it is, got shut down early once again because of the Rona. I'm tired of the Rona, yo. You got to go, Roni. Like, I'm sorry. You're not tender. You just got to go. You got to go far worse than the cicadas. And if you live in a state that doesn't have cicadas, you should probably advertise to people in the Midwest right now because people in the Midwest are going nuts about the cicadas. They come around once every 17 years. It's like a big child support back tax or something. And they tell you for weeks on end, cicadas are coming, cicadas are coming, cicadas are coming. And then the cicadas come out the ground and they leave their shells everywhere. Like somebody eating at like a Texas roadhouse or whatever place there's all the peanuts on the ground. And then they buzz around for like two days and then they die off. And cicadas just die anywhere. Like they just, they just don't have like dramatic deaths. They just be like, eh, I'm good. Like, and they just be gone. Like, I I don't know how they even get to get the next generation in the ground because all I ever do is see dead ones on the ground. I went jogging on Sunday morning and it was basically don't step on the cicada if you can, but I'm not going to twist an ankle for a cicada. So if I crush one of y'all, um, my bad, but get off the sidewalk. Uh, that would be my advice to you, Mr. or Ms. Cater. Uh, Got to be careful with that when you say cater because you say the wrong thing in front of it. Now you got protests. But it's all right, because America, there's one thing we love to do, it's protest, because, huh, you know, I'm not going to get political with uh, my guest on this episode, because I ain't trying to get her in trouble, you know, um, you know, by association, if you will. But there's a certain representative um, who doesn't make it easy being green, if you will. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, there's a certain state that's on my mind, and... Uh, it's not for a positive reason. I'm going to leave it at that. Mm. So, yeah, uh, got my show coming up this Friday. Got one next week. Uh, I'll be in Northside twice, actually, because uh, I'm doing a showcase at Chameleon. Uh, Chameleon in Northside, which is down the street from the Comet. So if you live in Cincinnati and you've been asking me, wait, Tabari, when you going to have a local show? Come and get these jokes, okay? 
some of y'all probably listen to the podcast and say, well, he doesn't tell jokes on the podcast or he doesn't really tell jokes when he's interviewing people because I'm not giving it away for free. You get the show for free. Come pay me. Come see me. That's what's going to make me keep writing jokes. And I'm in a weird thing right now where it's like, I got a lot of jokes written, but I'm trying to remember them when I get them out on stage because, you know, it's not like it used to be. You couldn't just find somewhere to go every night. But although it's starting to open back up, I got both my, you know, got my vaccines. I have no side effects. I haven't grown anything. Um, I don't think I've lost any weight because my appetite has been voracious as of late. But then again, I don't think I don't put on any extra pounds. So I'm just staying in, I'm maintaining, I'm keeping it where it's at. Uh, I'm not going to get skinny, but I'm not going to get more fat. I had to make that rhyme. So don't waste my time complaining about the grammar on that. Oh, snap bonus. All right. Now, coming up after the musical break, please enjoy my interview with the one and only Miss Sarah Spain of ESPN, Sirius Satellite Radio, and many other projects that are probably coming soon. So thank you and enjoy this episode of A Tight 45. episode of a tight 45 season three i don't know how i have done this many episodes at this point in time but i am still doing them people are still listening and i'm still getting great guests and speaking of great guests Today, I have the honor of chatting with a young lady who, this has been a long time coming. She, of course, is someone you may have heard of, you may have seen. Let me run down some of the accolades real quick, if you will. (laughs) Uh, A graduate of an Ivy League school where she was also a heptathlete, which meant that I had to go look up what in the world a heptathlete does because I was never close to being a heptathlete. She, in addition, to being a Ivy League graduate and former D1 athlete is also an ESPN sports personality where you can catch her across many different channels. If it is not Sports Center, if it is not Around the Horn, if it is not, of course, perhaps the podcast which she hosts, which is also heard on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, that being Spain and Fitz, you can also catch her on her own podcast, That's What She Said. And she's very active on the social media. And I mean that in a positive sense, not like a (laughs) debutante that's like like no reason online. Ladies and gentlemen, without any further delay, the one and only Miss Sarah Spain joins me today. Sarah, how are you, madam? I am good. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for agreeing to do this after having me slide into your DMs like a bad <laughs> rapper going after a supermodel. So thank Yo, you. There's that's no how I do it from my them. podcast, too. I slide into those <laughs> DMs on IG as well. I'm like, hey, so you got a movie coming out. Want to slum it over here on my pod? <laughs> exactly. So yes. So thank you for taking the time out to answer it. And here's the thing. I know I just went through a lot of your accolades in the intro. I didn't even get to them. I didn't get to your Peabody award winning <laughs> uh, thing that you produced and were a part of. Here's my first question. How in the world do you get all the stuff that you do done? Uh, gosh, you know, sometimes I don't. I will tell you, I have I've used many different strategies to keep things organized. I, I actually do think being an athlete is a huge part of, of time management because my entire life I've been oversubscribed in, in a way that I find positive, but I was all stayed in band and chorus and field hockey and track and all area and basketball. And I was, you know, constantly on the move, constantly doing things. I just like to be engaged. I'm not a very good relaxer. Um, and so because I had to learn at a young age how to manage my time if I wanted to fit all that stuff in, uh, which for a year included going to gym before school um, because it was required of me, even though I was a three sport varsity athlete, which was really dumb. Um, but otherwise, I couldn't fit all of my classes and activities in the school day. So I've kind of had to be uh, finagling my own way uh, for quite some time. And now it's like I, I describe my day as a Jenga board. Right. If somebody tries to move a piece, I'm like, no, I can't move that 15 minutes. Um, but I'm actually working on saying no a little bit more often so that I have a little bit more time to work with. And I'm not quite so frazzled. <laughs> Makes sense. You know, and to be a successful athlete, to be just like to have to be a, you know, to be a successful media personality, you have to have a lot of drive and a lot of energy. I mean, you know, you, you can't have people, you know, yawning on the uh, morning broadcast <laughs> talking about, yeah, it's going to be 65 by the time I get up. Like, so, you know, I, I understand that aspect of it, but, you know, just getting into the whole athlete thing, when you were going to, you know, cause you were, I believe kind of heavily recruited, right? When you were a, a young person. I was recruited. College? I mean, I wouldn't say heavily. I was recruited for all three sports. Um, okay. I was offered a couple of full rides for basketball at, um, uh, I think mostly D3. Um, okay. So yeah, I wouldn't say heavily. I was not, you know, I wasn't going to go to the Olympics in track and field, which is the sport I ended up doing in college. So um, there were plenty, plenty more heavily recruited, but I got enough. I got enough people interested. I got you. And then of course you made the transition into getting into the sports journalism world. And, you know, as so many things I want to ask you about, given, you know, all your different experiences and whatnot, you were a college athlete. You're a journalist. Now we've been talking about this issue for, it feels like forever. Having been a college athlete, what's your take on the whole situation with college athletes and should they, or should they not get paid? Yeah, this has been a topic for the entirety of my lifetime, really. I think we're at least finally moving in the direction where the majority of people understand the inequalities at, at play here. And there are very few people I still hear making the argument of, well, they get a free education. And, you know, not understanding, of course, that the highest level athletes very rarely get to fully take advantage of that education. They're moved into majors that don't require labs or time outside of the classroom that conflicts with, with um, sports. And, you know, I have a, a teammate from high school, Victoria Jack who's now a professor of sports history at ASU, who writes a lot of freelance pieces for a number of places and really focuses and specializes on understanding a better way to have um, athletics and academics 
coexist at the collegiate level. She herself was an NCAA champion, went on to run professionally, but she always talks about how people like she and I and others, um, predominantly white athletes benefit from the money being created by predominantly black athletes. And so she and I got the sort of stereotypical collegiate sports experience. We got to play sports at, at the division one level. We got to go to our classes and get an education. We got to get our degree. We got to make connections across the campus in a variety of spaces, do other activities, and then graduate and either go on to more sports at the professional level or be done and have had that chapter and then take that education and, and move into the world. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea we like to present to everybody. But the reality for the majority of the athletes driving the financial aspect that fulfills all of these other programs is not that they mm -hmm. don't get to really experience the educational side of it. Often they don't graduate. Right. And so then we hold up this model as it working when in fact it's working for a majority at the expense of a minority, both literally and, and figuratively. Yes. I so, mean, we saw, I saw the episodes of young rock when he was in the locker room with Warren Sapp and I don't know who they got to play Ed Ogeron, but that guy can act. That's <laughs> right. a side note, but yeah. I, I digress. Yeah. So, I mean, I think name image and likeness is a start. Um, but I think, you know, Bamani Jones actually just did a podcast a couple of days ago. It was really fantastic looking at some of the ways that it's presented to us as progress. And mm -hmm. in the, in reality, you realize it's still completely screwed up. Um, you know, for instance, the latest where, oh yeah, we'll have name, image, and likeness. But once those student athletes profit, we'll then spread it around to all of the athletes. So if you go get a $10,000 deal at a local car dealership, you don't get that. They take that and then they spread it to all the other athletes at the school. That's a very strange approach to saying you're allowed to monetize your value at the collegiate level and then give it. To, it doesn't. So um, I think we're really far away. I honestly, as much as I loved my experience, I think that things like collegiate basketball and football are probably more. They probably make more sense as minor leagues no longer affiliated with colleges at all. And I know a lot of people will push back on that, but ask yourself why you're pushing back. It's because you love what you already have. You love the pageantry, mm -hmm. you love the tradition, you love your alma mater and being involved in it. But in the end, if we can't find a meaningful way for those things to actually exist um, without you know, all of the flaws that are becoming more and more apparent every passing day, mm -hmm. um, then I just don't see how it's a feasible thing to keep going. I understand because, you know, we, we saw what happened earlier this year with the women's basketball situation and mm -hmm. the, the, the training equipment. And I was like, even my fat self can do more than this. Is they're do I mean, they're not giving them anything to work with. Here. My house after this quarantine has a better workout set up. I got a treadmill. I got a Peloton. I got I got weights. I got yoga mats. I got right. foam rollers. Like, how is that better than what you just presented to 60 schools? Right. I mean, so it was just ridiculous. And I don't know how they tried to defend that that was worse than Suge Knight trying to act like he wasn't thugging people during the 90s of death row records <laughs> uh, but I, I bring that up to bring this there's an old there's an old thing about Doug Williams the former Super Bowl winner for the Washington professional football team as they are now known and the yep. infamous question of he supposedly was asked how long have you been a black quarterback <laughs> I bring this up because, you know, you are a woman in sports journalism and you yes. get a lot of questions related to being a woman in you sports sure journalism. There's a lot of questions that people tie to you just because you were born with ovaries and estrogen. So <laughs> to avoid that, I was just curious, do you honestly think that it is getting better to be a woman 
in sports or is it one of those things where it's one step forward, two steps back, or a lot of people for every, I, I mean, I, I'm tired of using the word woke at this point in time. <laughs> I need some people to go to sleep, but do you yeah, feel like things are getting better weaponized. or kind of like, you know what I mean? Is it kind of like, is it, is it actually yeah. getting better so, or is it staying the same? I've actually been asked, I've been thinking about that a lot. Cause I just wrote a column that I'm working through with my editor. So it's not out yet about harassment in sports. And mm -hmm. so I think specific to sexual harassment in sports, it's not getting better for a while. I said it was getting better. And then I took a hard look and realized it was getting better for me because I'm getting older. I have more agency. I have more of a voice. I'm not in the spaces I used to be in as often. A lot of my work comes in a studio or at home. And so because of all of that, it all comes together for me to say, oh, it's getting better because I'm not personally being sexually harassed by my colleagues or coaches or players or mm -hmm. other reporters. That's not the case for women who are up and coming. The story for them is the same as it was for me, as it was for the women before me, as it was for the women before them. So no, when it comes to that specific aspect, it is not getting any better. There needs to be drastic of changes and some drastic approaches to changing things. Um, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it is absolutely getting better. When I started out, there were so many more barriers to the spaces in which women were allowed or perceived to be invited. And um, it was often hosting a show that facilitated the opinions of men. It was anchoring, it was sideline reporting. Now there are women as color, play-by-play, -play, owners, GMs, coaches. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there was just a historic announcement in the in the NFL, Kelly Klein, who long worked with the Vikings now being hired by the Broncos for the highest level any woman has achieved as in, in the scouting areas of NFL. And she's 30 years old. She's got a ton ahead of her. And it's a blip compared to when it was, you know, Catherine Smith gets hired as a quality control coach and lets every show do a debate about whether she's qualified, even though she worked for the Jets for 14 years before going with Rex Ryan to work for the Bills. And none of you know what the hell a quality control coach does. So and you're going to tell me, you know, whether she's qualified, right. you don't even know what the hell they do. Given what the Jets have done, I could coach at this point. Right. So, right. I mean, well, this was Rex Ryan. Sala, so. This was Rex Ryan when they were having success was part of her tenure there. And then this oh, was when, okay. this that was when she, period. yeah, <laughs> hired to the bills. No, but I, I, I mean, I think the opportunities, I, I keep saying the ceiling is higher than ever. The, the basement is the same. So you still have to go through this awful gauntlet of trash and disrespect and harassment and judgment and questioning. Um, you know, men will show up and people will say, you know, I'm, I assume he knows what he's doing unless he proves otherwise. And with women, it's the opposite. It's I assume you don't know what you're doing until you prove that you're great. And uh, I wish that weren't the case, but at least there are higher heights to reach when you when you get into it. Understood. And, you know, and I don't want to beat uh, a, a cliche dead horse. Why is it always the dead <laughs> horse? I think beating any animal would be bad at this we point shouldn't. in time. But, but I think, you know, sometimes it, it is a dead horse in that, you know, it's, it's, it's already dead. So you really don't have to beat it. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I say that because, you know, I don't I have happier questions and other things I want to ask. But right. the, the, I, I did want to bring this up to you because you are a very outspoken person who happens to be a woman. And right. You don't hold back on things. And, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, with Colin Kaepernick and the infamous shut up and dribble um, from a woman who I will not say her name to give her any publicity because I would love to meet her in public and it ain't going to go well. <laughs> um, but given how athletes have been told, you know, to be quiet, ESPN and other sports networks now, it almost feels like, I don't want to say it's encouraged, but it feels like, you know, sports journalists such as yourself 
are now more able to not have to do what I would call the local weather person where it's like, just smile and, you know, and say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, you know, traffic is moved. You can actually speak your mind, go into deep debates. We're getting more voices than we ever have before from, you know, different Asian sports writers talking about situations right now in the country to, you know, all the different stuff that have happened with the last 15, 16 months and Black Lives Matter and everything else. And you have always been very outspoken and you've gotten a lot of people that have written things to you because there's a if you haven't seen it for those of you listening um there was a peabody award-winning uh campaign um regarding mean tweets and i was watching the guys cringe trying to not say it to your face and you were like nope i'm gonna sit here and stare at you all dead in the (laughs) eyes today to you have to say these things and see how it feels to have to say it to my actual face i'm just curious what is the one thing out of everything right now that you wish people could just stop doing when it comes to their social media and just how they are on it. And I know I'm guilty of saying, you know, mean stuff because I've made jokes about Chanel West Coast on uh, Ridiculousness and Lil Wayne and other Mm -hmm. people, but I've never gone for like the jugular, but I've seen what some people have written and oof. Yeah, I mean, that is a loaded question because there are so many things that I wish that people would do differently. I'm going to have to give you two. I'm going to have to give you two because even though I'm sure I could think of more, um, I don't want to be cliche and just say be kind. I think that's too simple. I think I'm, I think I'm going to go a little deeper than that. So the first one is to try to engage with people on social media in the way that you would engage in life. I think if you, first of all, it's difficult to do because there are literally psychosomatic ways that our bodies react to the way we interact with other people. So if I'm having a conversation with you and I can see your face change, whether that's your eyebrows go up or your mouth go down or you furrow your brow, there's a part of me internally that's trying to connect with you human to human. And that will allow me to clarify my point or make you laugh even more or realize you're angry and react to that. We don't have that online. Not only can we not see the effect our words are having on the other person, but we also can't tell their tone can't tell if they're joking. We can't tell if they're engaged seriously or if they're you know, fucking with us. And so what ends up happening is people don't approach it the way that they would approach interacting with another human being in life. And so sometimes I have to tell myself, like, if I were at a party with this person and I've tried to engage, you know, honestly and genuinely a couple of times and I'm not getting anything back, would I keep talking to them or would I walk away? And I have to force myself more often to walk away, even if I feel misunderstood, which is I actually don't mind getting insulted as much as I feel like I don't want my words to be twisted. I don't want to feel misrepresented and I don't want to feel misunderstood. If you come at me and you try to argue against me and it's a straw man of something I've never said, then I'm going to want to get back and say, Hey, that's not, this is what I was saying. And that's when I engage much more often than if someone says like, you look fat and ugly today. I'm like, okay, cool. See you. Um, So number one is try to think about engaging with people on social media in the way that you would engage in real life. That means less insults. That means more attempts to connect. That means more attempts to actually have a conversation and not to scream at each other, which doesn't get you anywhere. No one's on their deathbed like, well, I really wish I argued on the internet more. So, you know, try to think about that. And then the second is, I do wish that people had better digital literacy in general. And that applies to the things that they share and say. It also applies to the things that they digest and take in. And it's it's not easy, right? we come up in a time, especially as a journalist, it makes it so much easier for me to look for context clues to tell, is this a real website? Are these facts real? Is this vetted? Is this biased? Who's the source behind this? Mm -hmm. And when things come up, I will use those skills 
to say, okay, if someone sends me something and it's a screen grab and not a link, I'm like, where did this come from? Let me Google it. Am I finding this anywhere? Or did someone make this graphic and make it look like it was in this newspaper, mm-hmm. right? Someone sends me a story and they say, this is the, this is, you know, the truth about this. And then I click on the link and I go to the very bottom and it says, this is a parody site. This is a fake news site. And most people aren't doing that. They're just engaging on the internet as if news with eight z's.com should be given the same weight as the washington post.com and that that's how we've ended up in this awful place where people are down a rabbit hole going to storm the capitol because they think the election was stolen we're thinking that there's q and there's like pedophile rings and pizza places that don't even have a basement where they're telling you it's in the basement and it's easy to be mad and i am and it's easy to be frustrated and i am but it's more like, let's save these people. They are incapable of finding their way out of this hole that's constructed entirely of fabrications and lies and fear mongering. And now they're left like in a completely different reality than the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't help any to yell at them. Um, And so I just wish that, I wish that people would be able to better understand how to navigate what is unfortunately a wild, wild west free for all on the internet of a combination of actual facts and completely made up bullshit. Makes sense. Was there a part two or was that, did you cover everything well, in your part those one? Were two. <laughs> okay. Those were two. Okay. The first one was engaged like in real life. And the yes. second one was in employed digital literacy. No problem. I used to teach. I always like to make sure we got everything covered yeah. for the class for those in review. There will, yeah. there will be yes. post, there will be homework for you listening yes. later. Um, no cliff notes. You got to listen to the whole thing. Exactly. And and on the flip side of that, you work in an industry that is encouraging people to talk with sports radio or podcasts and things of that nature. How hard is it sometimes when you're talking about something and you hear someone either call in or you see someone write something where you're like, how did your brain put these words <laughs> together in this sequence to say something this stupid uh, and ridiculous out loud? Do you, I mean, is it just too I'm hard conflicted. to deal with that? Here's the thing. I'm conflicted on this because on the one hand, I will always operate from a place of logic and transparency and truly believing what I'm saying, right? Mm -hmm. I will do the research. Sometimes people won't like my opinion, but it is always going to be genuinely what I think about something. And that's actually puts me at a deficit in this industry for making millions of dollars. Um, Because there are people who are willing to be, you know, exploitative and exaggerate and lose all priorities that they're still just talking about sports um, in order to make everything seem like the biggest deal in the whole world and make money off of inflammatory statements that they know will enrage people and get them even if they're hate listening listening and coming back and fighting and arguing and talking and i guess there's a place for that it's not my style right um i think there are people that are incredibly engaging that are that are also genuine and use facts and research to back up their points and then i think there are other people who do understand that there's this great audience for just screaming at each other with an oratory skill that draws you in even though it might be based on things that aren't real um i'm only calling out i actually like listening to this dude i've never met him but you know the other night the other day on um I think he was either filling in on KJ and Zero was his own show. Bart Scott was saying that LeBron James is weak okay. and he's soft because okay. of his injury. Mm-hmm. Where the hell are you going to? I mean, there's a lot of things. If you want to try to criticize LeBron James for something, you can find things, you know, early in his career, especially disappearing late in games, yada, yada, switching teams, super teams, whatever you want to complain about with one of the greatest players of all time that you should probably instead just be enjoying instead of trying to find ways to criticize. But being soft and weak is not it. 
This guy's been at it forever and he's never hurt. Every other season, all we've ever talked about is how does he not get hurt? This guy spends $2 million plus on his body. This guy is like a cryogenic chamber in his house and probably sleeps upside down like a bat, like soft and weak. That's where I'm like, and I think we have a responsibility. These are, and I don't think LeBron James cares about Bart Scott calling him softer weak, but I, you know, it's interesting. I just was talking to um, Dominique Foxworth, former mm-hmm. NFL player, yes. then became, you know, uh, head of the union for the NBA, brilliant guy, went to Harvard Business School. And one of the things he talked about that I completely agree on is we have a, we have a duty to these human beings that we cover to be fair. And we do have an effect on them. We can affect their job status. If enough of us talking head gas bags, talk about how a coach sucks or a player and, and they can hear it and they can take it in. And that's why I'm much more empathetic to Kevin Durant than a lot of other people are. I'm like, he's still just a human being who clearly is very deeply affected by how people feel about him. And you can make fun of that if you want, or you can say that just because someone's rich and good at basketball, it doesn't mean they're devoid of all the emotions that we all have, which is wanting people to respect us and like us and be nice to us. Um, so I, I, I prioritize fairness. You know, if I'm going to call someone trash, they better be trash. If I'm going to call, like, I'm okay with making fun of teams. I've been saying my Chicago Bulls should be relegated like European soccer for a couple of years to the G League until they figure their shit out. But individuals, I'm going to criticize fairly and not take personal shots because they're still human beings. And that's, that's not fair. Understood. And, you know, it's funny because you kind of helped me segue into my next question. By the way, Bart Scott, if you would like to come on this podcast and give a rebuttal, can't wait. <laughs> um, can't wait. I just throw that out there. Uh, but also, if you want to fight me, no. <laughs> I, you win. You Understood. win for sure. Understood. No <laughs> uh, you are a passionate fan for your teams. Uh, you are wearing your Chicago Red Stars, which, of course, <laughs> is a team that you have co-ownership in. And, yes, I'm coming back to that later. Um, so, couple of things I was just curious about. I am actually a sports polygamist. I have talked about this with many people on this podcast. I have more than one team that I root for and everyone has bashed me for it to the death. Are you okay (laughs) with people being fans of more than one team in a certain sport? I say that because I am a Cincinnati Bengals fan. I work with them sometimes. I am also a Seattle Seahawks fan because I've loved everything Seattle dating back to Sir Mix-a-Lot and Mark Langston and Alvin nice. Davis with the thick mustache and the first Kurt Warner with the C, not the one with the K. <laughs> uh, and I also am a big fan of your Chicago Cubbies. Uh, so I have uh, been a sports polygamist for years and we have no NBA so team in Cincinnati. Mean, so Right. So do know. you mean polygamist like fans of teams in different cities or do you mean within the same league being allowed to root for more than one team? Being allowed to root for more than one team in the same league i have my primary okay. and then my backups I, i'm like i'm not like a like if i was a rapper these would be like my side chicks but do you wear their jerseys and their gear and their merch or do you just root for them when your team's not involved Ooh, the only thing i can say is is that when the reds play the cubs it's kind of a split for me apparel wise okay okay but because i was gonna say i i so i actually you said you said, uh, what'd you call them? Your groupies? Yeah, side your mistresses. My, those are my side chicks. If sports okay, because that's actually that's actually what I called it a couple of years ago when I addressed the elephant in the room, which is that Aaron Rodgers is my favorite player, although he's not anymore because hello, Justin Fields. <laughs> I was getting ready to get to this. Hasn't played a single snap, but auditioning to be my favorite player going to happen yes. real quick. As and you have my it. former quarterback in Andy Dalton, who's one of the nicest dudes in the yeah, world, and that's nice all dude. I'm going to say about that. Nice dude for sure. Um, 
So, so no, I think that you can absolutely have side pieces. The Milwaukee Bucks have been my side piece in the NBA because honestly, the last couple of years of the Bulls, like I said, they should be in the G League and figure it out and come back up. Um, the I Bears are absolutely Hawks my fame, team, so. but I, uh, yeah, I occasionally will want the Packers to have success, even as a Bears fan, because I want Aaron Rodgers to have success. In the WNBA, it is a struggle because I'm a massive Chicago Sky fan, but then my girl Sue Bird and the Storm, and then my girl Elena Deladon and the Mystics. So that's the other thing. Like once you actually become friends with people, you know, Lasia Clarendon is the best. So I'm like, okay, Liberty, add them to the list. Like it's hard in in certain leagues. Um, NWSL, I think as an owner, no, I can't. It's over for all the other teams. Like I don't want any of you to succeed, even when I'm not around. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I think baseball is probably the sport where I don't have another team that I really root for. I certainly have teams. I like if if you give me a matchup, I'm usually going to figure out who I want to win or lose. Um, right. But but I don't have like um, a sec. And then same with hockey. I'm I'm a Blackhawks fan. And there's teams I certainly want to lose more than others, but I don't really have used to be the sharks when I had some friends on the team, but now I'm just Blackhawks true and true. I got you. And you know, uh, do you feel any different now about sports when you're reporting on stuff, being an owner yourself, because we know there are certain owners in certain leagues, one of which I'm not going to mention because I sometimes get a paycheck from that organization. Uh, but there are certain owners that have been, criticized and uh i'm thinking of one of your co-workers uh who likes to scream a lot uh uh-huh. usually in the morning as mike greenberg plays referee between him and uh our, one of our former boxing commentators who's on the yeah. show with him now but you know there are certain owners where like people know who they are even if they don't follow sports and then there's other people you're like who's that who owns that team mm-hmm. like i i couldn't tell you who owns the arizona cardinals i i couldn't do right. it right now i think it's someone named bidwell i think i'm i may <laughs> i may have heard that name uh i don't know why but not but, rod but, tidwell yeah just exactly yes exactly <laughs> um is it is it a little bit different being an owner now and also how cool is it to be like oh yeah a sports team yeah i own some of that yeah it's really cool um it is a little different. I'll say, you know, my perspective, particularly in terms of women's sports, ever since I got into this industry, is really to try to figure out what is the barrier or what are the barriers to growing leagues and support for them? What is the biggest thing standing in the way of the expansion that I think is is ready and people are willing and ready for? And, and a lot of that is just investment, treating the leagues like a startup business. If you don't put enough in, you can't expect to get that much out. There's this great guy, Dave Berry, B-E-R-I. He's uh, on Twitter, I think at Wages of Wins. And he's gone back and done a lot of research into the early years for men's sports. You know, NBA finals used to be on tape delay. Early NBA games were the second half of a college doubleheader where they hoped that if you came to the college game, you would stick around to check out what this NBA thing is. A lot of the greats that you hear about were playing in front of no one. You build them up in your mind and you imagine that the scene looked just like it does today, but it didn't look like that. It took a long time for these professional leagues and it took a lot of political money. It took a lot of taxpayer funded stadiums. It took a lot of important people putting their money behind the idea of wanting sports to become this huge thing that it is. 
And then we look at these women's leagues that are 10 or 15 years old that don't have political backing, taxpayer funded stadiums, any of that stuff. And we're like, oh, well, that no one, no one's interested. You aren't investing in them. You're, you're, and there's no nostalgia tied to it. People haven't been going since they were kids. There's, there's so many reasons. So for me, I look at all that stuff and I go into the space that I'm in and First of all, it's my money now, right? So I have a financial investment. So I understand the limitations of, of that investment side of it, but I also push for here's how we need to use our money and here's how we need to approach this. Um, so I, I do bring all of what I already thought about this into the spaces I'm in and try to be, you know, bringing money where my mouth is, literally in terms of that. Um, but I also think there's moments that, for instance, recently in the NHL, the Rangers got fined a massive fee for criticizing a call that they didn't like and calling for the firing of the head of player safety. Mm-hmm. And my co-host, Jason Fitz on Spain and Fitz, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern every week at ESPN Radio, um, was like, this is absurd. This fine is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And I said, it doesn't matter whether you disagree with the call. What matters is that a, a franchise and an owner just put their entire franchise weight behind demanding the firing of someone at the league level. That is league on league crime because technically they are a part of this league. They are the owners along with all the other owners of all the other teams. Mm -hmm. So we often think about commissioner versus team and the commissioner represents the league. The team is the league. So the choices that you make are reflective of the brand and product that you're a part of. And so that needs to be done behind the scenes. You want to advocate for that firing and be mad about it, then publicly just like go after the call. Don't go after the person. I understand why the league didn't want that look. So there's moments like that where I get how those relationships work a little Mm -hmm. bit better than I used to from being in meetings and really thinking about it differently. Um, You got that Jay-Z thing going on because, you know, you're not a businessman. You're a business. I'm a business man. Exactly. Well, man. Um, but also I do think, you know, I have to be careful about stuff like social media because I can't rip my team. Mm -hmm. I can't rip the other team. (laughs) I can't rip the officials and I can't rip the league. So basically I'm down to everybody. There's a game today. And then like, woo goal. (laughs) We won. You're like, I can cover everything, but women's professional soccer and I'm good. Yeah. No, no, no. I can still cover it as long as I'm open about it. It's more so the. And it's not that I can't criticize in a, in an editorial way for work. It's more like on my social media, if I wanted to be like, that's BS, that girl's trash. She shouldn't have done that. Or like mm-hmm. that coach sucks or whatever. Like right. now I can't do that. Cause like, so, imagine so, if like Jerry Jones was out there just like tweeting about how much he hates coaches of other teams. Like that's not good. Hey, be happy. A certain former uh, president doesn't have a team. Cause I, I'd love to see mm-hmm. what that tweet would turn into. Uh, then again, if you if, if you saw that video of the oh, that one girl who was pulling girls by the hair WWE style, yeah. I'd be expecting somebody to say something. Right. I, I, I know that girl. I know so. that's an old story, but just the, it is just the grime level that she pulled. I need to find her for the podcast and get her on here. Um, but uh, you mentioned Justin Fields. Now you are a diehard Bears fan. Anyone who follows knows this. They have seen you in all of your six foot tall self because you are the fourth six foot tall woman I've had on this podcast. Nice. I don't I don't know how I keep getting tall Amazon's women with unite. me being short. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe <laughs> I have a, a situation that I don't know about going on in my head. That notwithstanding, you got Justin. 
Somebody posted a meme the other day about all the Ohio State QBs that have been to the NFL, like Tom Tupa and Cardale Jones and Troy Smith. And I didn't realize this because I am an anti-Ohio State person because I went to the University of Cincinnati. I don't OH anything. Um, mm-hmm. Are you worried, given your boy's pedigree, that he could be in trouble? Because <laughs> old no, state QBs so- have not had a good run. Guess who else hasn't? Chicago Bears QB, right? Okay, so let's let's double up on all the ways that we think he's going to fail because of the things that came before him. <clears throat> I will say this, and this is the analogy I've been using because it really made people think differently at the time. Okay. 2016, the Cubs were trying to win the World Series for the first time in 108 years. Mm-hmm. And they fell down 3-1 to the Indians, and it was lights out according to most people, right? You can't come back from down 3-1 in a World Series, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of that was based around people saying that their attitude would be one of despondence because of the history of the team, that they would get, oh, we've been cursed again, add this to the list, you know, the Black Cat and Steve Bartman and yada, yada, this team is cursed, we're never going to win. And I said to them, do you know that the longest tenured player on this team has been here for five years? That is the longest tenured person here is a 20-something-year-old who's been on the team for five years, which means only five years of his life has he cared about or been invested in whether or not the Cubs can win at all. You're 65, right? So you've been at it for 65 years. We'll give you the first five, maybe. Maybe you became a fan at six or seven. But 60-plus years of your life, you've been taking in the sadness and the disappointment, and now you're thrusting it upon a bunch of players, most of whom have been on the team for a year or two. And they get it. I mean, they know what happened before them, but they're not carrying it around the way you are. And so it's unfair to expect that. And I feel the same way about fields in this sense. The only quarterbacks who are in remotely the same position as him are Nick Foles and Mitch Trubisky, because they are the only ones that played for this coach and this GM, right? Right. Reasonable number of games. Mm-hmm. Mitch Trubisky was a massive reach that most people thought was not a great pick when it happened, or at least thought they must know something we don't know. He hasn't played very much. He struggled to get a starting spot at a non-big college football school, and he only mm-hmm. had 17 or 16 starts or whatever. This is a weird choice. Justin Fields, for the last two years, has been a consensus one or two draft like draft pick that has broken all these records, and you know, Pro Football Focus has him rated highest of anyone in the, their existence at all these different metrics. So that they're not comparable. And then Nick Foles is a guy who's either been a Super Bowl MVP in the right system and with the right players, everything around him, right. or not very good. And guess what? He didn't have a great offensive line or a great run game, and they weren't set up to do play action, which is what he's best at. So those are your two examples. Everyone before that, from Ohio State, wherever they went, or on the Bears, whoever that was, was playing for a different coach with different teammates in a different system with a different front office. I just don't think it carries over. So unless Virginia McCaskey is the problem, which let me add her, all right? If she's the reason the Bears quarterbacks haven't succeeded for this long, let me tell her to step away from the team and see it thrive without her. She's 101 years old or whatever she is. I don't think she's the problem, but that's the only through line from like fucking Sid Luckman to Justin Fields. And yet we're intent on pretending that factors are somehow like there's a curse within this. Like if you think the... Ditka era was the same as Negi was the same as Fox was the same as whatever you're out of your mind. Like it's been different, a different regime every time. So the fact that they've sucked, I mean, look at the Patriots outside of Tom Brady is the Patriots 
a place where quarterbacks have always been fantastic and wonderful and amazing. No, nah, because I remember your Bears beating perception. up on. Uh, I remember your Bears beating up on Steve uh-huh. Grogan, and if nothing else, if nothing else from the Bears, we at least got a dope video out of it. Which oh, the Super Bowl shuffle. Yes, the dopest. I mean, you know, what I, do you I mean, mean if nothing, nothing else. else. How about the greatest defense in the history of the game? How I like about offense. a beat down in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I remember that. I felt bad for New England back then. If we only knew that they were going to get their revenge about what. 15, 20 years I later. I wish I was old enough to enjoy it. I've been hearing about that Super Bowl my whole <laughs> life, and I instead had to fly down to Miami and get rained on while I watched Sexy Rexy and the Bears get beat by the Colts. Oh, yes, Rex Grossman. I, 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 that's a name I haven't thought of in forever. Before, <laughs> I, before I forget, uh, please plug yourself. Let people know where they can find you online and on the radio and on TV because and in print. You've got everything yeah, covered. That's right. That's right. Um, at Sarah Spain on Twitter, at Spain2323 on Instagram. Spain and Fitz national radio show every night, 79 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and the ESPN app. That's what she said with Sarah Spain is my podcast. New ones hit every Tuesday. You can find those at Apple, iTunes, ESPN app, wherever you get your podcasts. You can read my work mostly on ESPNW.com. You can watch me on Around the Horn, usually twice a week, usually Tuesday, Fridays, occasionally on Highly Questionable, occasionally doing party sh- parting shots for Outside the Lines on Saturday mornings uh yeah that's most of it i think <laughs> and then of course at seat geek stadium in chicago where you can hang out with me and tailgate with me before chicago red stars games uh come out and party now with all that said i got a couple of quick rapid fire questions okay. that i want to try to get out there so first best deep dish pizza in chicago eduardo's which is lesser known there's fewer locations so if not eduardo's Melnati's. okay all right. If you were not working in sports, what do you think you would have been doing for a living? And, and your eyes just lit up like, oh, no. Uh, well, OK, no. The first one is my dream job is and always will be Saturday Night Live. So I actually, after college, moved to L.A. to try to do comedy and acting, then found a weird way into sports and I, and I stuck with it. But, um, yeah, I would love to be doing that. And outside of entertainment altogether, um, I think it would be very interesting to be a therapist. I like giving advice and like listening to people and, and, but I, I don't know how much I would actually enjoy that on an everyday basis, but. I, I just wish I had known you had tried to do, did you try to do stand-up or improv or both? Improv. I still want to try stand-up. In fact, I have a notes page in my phone. I've never revealed this to anyone of uh, bits. If I ever end up just deciding to go do like an open mic or for some event, but I you're did, in Chicago, I, did, uh, I mean, second city graduated the whole conservatory love improv. Oh, see, cause you're in, you're in Chicago, which is one of yeah. the big three cities. I mean, we, yep. we will have to, this, this could be a follow-up podcast. Um, <laughs> I know that I, there's clips of you on the internet talking about different things with dating and all that. Uh, give, uh, well, I'm a, let's see, I'm a heterosexual dude and I'm painfully single. So give dudes like <laughs> me some piece of advice that you think a lot of us just don't know or don't get. Okay. I mean, this is hard to explain, but I'm going to try confidence is the number one thing. And I know it's hard to fake it if you don't actually have it, but being sure of yourself and who you are and all your weird quirkiness and eccentricities is so attractive. It is so much more attractive than trying to be what you think people want. And that is actually like kind of grosses me out. Like, you know, those people who do like the um, pickup artist crap, Mm -hmm. you know, and they tell guys like what to say and how to say, like when I was single and going on dates, there was almost this like layer of film 
that I felt like was over the dudes when they would step into that mode of like, this is what I've been told I'm supposed to do to impress women, whether Mm -hmm. that's talk about their money or try to buy stuff or try to order for them or like do shit like that. Just relax and be yourself and who you are might not be right for everyone. But if you just step into who you are and own everything about yourself as quirky and weird as it is, you're going to find someone who loves all those things about you. That's the one last thing too. If it doesn't work out with someone that wasn't your person. So don't like, you could be sad. You could be disappointed, but whoever your person is, is going to think you're awesome in the same way that you think they're awesome. So if you're dating someone and they don't think you're great and they aren't like amazed by you and think that you're the best thing ever, then that's not your person. So like, cool, be sad, move on, go find your person. Okay. You've had a chance to interview a lot of people. Is there anyone that you were starstruck by? Um, I mean, I've never actually interviewed Michael Jordan, but the couple of times I've met him, I was just an absolute lunatic. Um, and then uh, Bill Murray, I think because he's super moody and quirky. So you can't just go straight interview. You're like trying to get a read on him and keep up with him. And like, should I be the straight man or should I joke back? And like that one, that one's a tough interview. Um, I'm sure there are others, especially when I was coming up. But at this point, I feel a lot more just like comfortable with whoever. What is the one thing that people will be surprised, do you think, to learn besides the whole comedy thing that's blown my mind? But what is the one thing about yourself do you think that people would be surprised to learn that you either enjoy or have like an affinity for? Ooh. Yes, I asked the tough questions. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people would be surprised. Depends on whether they listen to my podcast or not, where I'm like very authentically myself and talk about all sorts of things that aren't sportsy, but um here's a couple of things you'll be surprised. I'm a vegetarian. I cried everything. I love like romantic movies and sappy singer songwriter music. And, um, I've never been in a fight. Really? Yeah. So like, I kind of have this hard exterior and I'm very sarcastic and outgoing, but I'm actually like a real softy and, uh, I'm a peacekeeper and I don't think people should fight. And, you know, is it hard for you to watch boxing or UFC or do you even watch that? Oh, really? I see. I was going to say, you know, uh, that's that's surprising because you do have that tough exterior where it's like, don't mess with me. And you're like, okay, thank goodness. That was close. But like, Uh, don't mess with me about important life shit. Right. Bump into me at a bar and like, whatever. Right. right. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Why would you fight over that? And then someone gets arrested or, you know, there's just these horror stories of people who bump into each other and then someone gets like paralyzed or like dies. And you're like, that was worth it for that. Come yep. on. I've but watched I, enough again, of the first comes, 48. I get honestly, it. that comes back to confidence too, though. That kind of stuff is like, if you just, if you just shrug it off and you're cool with it versus like, oh, you threatened my masculinity and now I have to you know, just get out of here. Gotcha. Who is the coolest person to work with at ESPN? And oh you can't gosh, say your co-host because that's, that's out. You got to pick there's, one. No, there's too many. <laughs> too many. Uh Gosh, I really, I really can't say I'm, I'm going to give you five. Okay. Um, does it be current or ever? Ever. Okay. Dan Lebetard, Jamel Hill, Kenny Main, Mina Kimes. And L. That's Duncan. four. But there's so many more. Wait, who was the last one? L. Duncan. Ah, nice. But there's was, so many more. Nice. I was sad that I learned that both you and Mina Kimes are married. I'm like, dang it. They're yeah. all gone. But uh, I like, oh gosh, Dominique. Though I love Dominique. There's too many. There's, I like, I honestly, genuinely, I love my coworkers. There's so many awesome people over there. Oh, look at that. And last question. 
what is your best or funniest story from your days as a college athlete? Because I tried to find video uh, of you on YouTube running or throwing a javelin or something, yeah. and I couldn't find it. So I don't Isn't know what you wild? scrubbed. I've, but... I'm like mad that I'm old enough that it just wasn't that common. And it's not like we didn't have video cameras and stuff. It just, I think, you know, Ivy League athletics, even though it's division one, like they just didn't, the program didn't run itself that way. And it was literally probably a year after I left that it was ubiquitous. And like, no matter where you were, it was incredibly common to have video all the time for training. So I'm pretty bummed that that doesn't exist. Um, I was just talking about this today. So this is top of mind. You said funniest. So we went to California every year for spring break uh, because we needed to start training for outdoor and it was still cold out in Ithaca. So we would go out to sort of like Long Beach, Newport area. They would put us in a, in a really lame hotel in like a business development so that we couldn't party right it was it was about the training and we would compete uh in two meets i think one was at long beach and long uh one was i can't remember what the other one was but um against a bunch of other teams and they would try to like you know have curfew and keep us from having fun mm -hmm. so the throwing coach uh always had his birthday around the same time that we were out in california and he would have the throwers and i was in the mix with the throwers jumpers runners whatever because i've had half fun uh go to hooters for his birthday again Looking back, strange choice. But once we were out there, we kind of told them, oh, we'll find our own way back to the hotel, right? And we ended up hitting up the bars in, I want to say it was Newport Beach. And we're at a bar and I look and I see it's Dennis Rodman hanging out because he's got a house there. Now I'm like the biggest 90s Bulls fan. So I go up and start talking to him. Now, an interesting part of the story to know is that I didn't start drinking till I was a junior in college. And I started drinking the night before this particular trip. So I had one drink with friends. There was no particular reason. It was just like, okay, I feel like I could probably drink now and not like end up pregnant and tattooed in an alley somewhere. Right. I'm good. And I'm also very social. So I never like needed it, quote unquote. Yeah, I felt right, fine right. going to all the parties and, you know, didn't care that I didn't drink. But I had decided that night before, like, hey, I'll just have a little bit of this. So... <laughs> I have no tolerance is the point. This was either, yeah. That, so anyway, I walk up, we're talking to Dennis Rodman. We start playing pool. I'm drunk. He like literally sits me down on a chair and just tells me to like hang out for a bit. Cause I'm like, right. So then he's like, Hey, want to have after party at my house? And, and I'm like, Oh, I'm with my track team. He's like, bring him along. I don't think he realized there was dudes as well, but we rolled up about 12 or 13 of us to Dennis Rodman's house. He biked there because I think he'd gotten enough DUIs or otherwise to like have, he's got one of those giant beach cruisers. So he right, rolls right. down the strand. We hop in a, in a cab and meet him at his house. We're at his house till like four 30 in the morning. He calls his chef. The chef comes over, makes us all a bunch of food, fried chicken and stuff at like three in the morning. So then we leave at four 30 and have a double practice. One of my teammates got arrested for public intox and got like basically just put in the drunk tank and then let out without a full arrest but it waited in the morning. So then he had to find his way from there to the hotel and like managed to sneak in before they found him and then get to practice. Um, it took us a couple of years to let our coaches know that while on the trip, we had been partying at Dennis Robbins house. Uh, but I would say that's a, it's a decent story from my, from my days as an athlete. And I would say that would be a perfect place to end before I get somebody in trouble. And in the words, as I mentioned before, we started of your co-workers, Jalen and Jacoby, don't get fired. Don't so get I'm going to wrap it up there. So <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, for this episode of A Type 45, I want to thank Miss Sarah Spain and thank you for listening to this episode of A Tight 45.